Welcome to another episode of Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and crime. I'm Trish, your bartender for today. And I'm Sloan, your crime tender for today. So grab a cocktail and buckle up for the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot! Beep beep! Welcome back to another round of drinks with your bartender, Trish. Today, I am going to be talking about a beer, actually. I know, shocker. We usually do cocktails, but... This one's good! (laughs) I am also a kind of beer drinker. I don't do all of them, but I do have a few that I really like. I'm a beer hater, through and through, and this (laughs) one is good! So this one is made by Urban South Brewery, which... Please send us a pack. We will love you forever. <laughs> I think it's located in New Orleans, actually. It is. It is. It's a one that they put out for Mardi Gras, and so it's going away. So I'm very sad about that. But if they made this a year-round thing, I would drink it year-round. It is a King Cake Milkshake Sour. With notes of cream cheese, cinnamon, and vanilla. And like I said, I went to, we have what we call package stores here. They're basically liquor stores, but they don't call them that. <laughs> um, but some sell just like liquor and some do sell like some beers and wines and, and liquors. It just really kind of depends on what you stumble into. Uh, but... The one that's really close to both where me and Sloan live (laughs) sells beers and wines and liquor. And I found this while I was just kind of browsing. And I was like, ooh, that sounds good. But I don't know if I want to do a whole four pack. And I'm really upset that I did not get the four pack. (laughs) I will go back. And I found a single can of it. So I tried it. Well, I brought, I bought it. Waited for us to record, and I tried it, and let Sloan try it, and like she said, she's a beer hater, and she tried it, and she went, oh, I could drink that. I want a four-pack. It's so good. It's dangerous. Like The, like, sour flavor of the beer is the cream cheese flavor of the king cake. If you remember, I have problems with my esophagus, so I can't handle, like, too bubbly of drinks, and it's not overly bubbly either like a seltzer is so like i love it in that way and y'all know that i am a hoe for cinnamon rolls anything (laughs) anything cinnamon rolls cinnamon roll french toast cinnamon toast crunch i do not care give me all the cinnamon rolls so this is the beer created for me it is definitely a sweeter beer so if i wouldn't suggest starting your drinking experience out with it like, if you're trying to drink for a couple of hours, I would, like, definitely wait till a little later in your drinking to do it. Because it's what I call a dessert beer. It's a closing out drink. But it is so good. Highly recommend. Like I said, I'm pretty sure this is a seasonal one, so it's probably going away. But if you stumble across it, please, please, please pick it up. Because it was so good. 
that's pretty much what I got for you this round. If you want to know about any other beers, possibly, if you like this other than cocktails, if you're not a cocktail person, I will definitely try out some beers. I'm always looking for new ones to drink. And yeah, we will kick you off to the episode. Welcome back to another crime with your crime tender Sloan. Today we are talking about Jeremy Brian Jones. Don't know if I've ever heard of him. If I have, I don't remember the name. You're not alone, because I did not know who this was until I was searching on Murderpedia and looking for Alabama serial killers and whatnot. And that is when I found this man, who is also known as the low-rent, low-grade, low-budget, whatever variation you want to choose, Ted Bundy. Okay. And I was like, well, Ted Bundy is really freaking known, infamous, but I've never heard of this guy. So that got me intrigued right off the bat. And so similar to Ted Bundy, Jeremy Jones, he was very charismatic, very good looking. In his own words, he said that he could probably charm the panties off of a nun. Okay. He was about five foot eight. He is. He's still alive. I'm sorry. I'm using past tense. Anyways, uh, he stands. He's about five eight. He weighs about 170 pounds. Many of his friends called him like a man's man sort of guy. In his own words, he said, I'm a likable guy. I'm the guy next door. I'm the guy who barbecues with you. I'm the guy who, who you call at 3 a.m. to help pull your car out of a ditch. To which I say, bro, I ain't calling you for nothing. <laughs> Not a damn thing. All right. And we'll get to it. But Jeremy attended high school in Miami, Oklahoma. Did not even know that was a place. I'm sure I probably heard it because my sister lives in Oklahoma. I doubt it because it is a very small town. It's full of abandoned mines. One of those situations. Jeremy says that in high school, he really adapted a uh, quote-unquote thug mentality because he looked around he saw all these quote-unquote thugs in town they had all the money they had the motorcycles the women and for a while that's what he wanted too so during that time in his life he developed a methamphetamine habit words are hard sometimes all right to which that habit definitely shaped his personality because he tend to he kind of jumped off the deep end at this point in his life and he's still in high school. So in 1996, Jeremy faced two separate rape charges. During one of these attacks, he allegedly fired a gun to threaten and scare the woman into submission. Both of these charges ended up being reduced and he received a slap on the wrist probation, and sex offender classes. Oh. (laughs) Great. So, fast forward four years, December 2000, Jeremy ended up selling his truck for $3,000 cash, and he fled Oklahoma in search of a slower southern life and did not be arrested on the rape charge looming over him in Oklahoma. 
When asked about this move later, he claims he wasn't just running from the law, but he actually wanted to change his life. Mm. But change his life is exactly what he did. But not in the way that you might think he did and that we all hope he did. (laughs) Jeremy Brian Jones stopped at a bar in Joplin, Missouri. Joplin? Joplin? Joplin. Joplin. I did it right the first time. (laughs) Yes. Anyways, so while he was at this bar, he met a woman. He told her stories about how the law was out to get him. He was just a good old boy, but no matter what he did, the law was always out to get him. And he just needed to get away from it all. So she told him that her son was currently incarcerated in the state of Missouri. And he didn't need his identity at the moment. So Jeremy could use it. Oh. So that was the day that he became John Paul Chapman. For my sake and sanity, I am going to continue referring to him as Jeremy Okay. Or Jones, Jeremy, Jones, one of those two. We do have another man that pops up later that his name is John. It it just, it got really confusing to me while I was doing my notes. So I'm not going to confuse y'all. Even though he has a different identity and we're going to remember that from here until the end. I am going to keep calling him by his birth name. So Jeremy at this point, hopped on another bus for the 20-hour trek to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, home of Alabama State University. Roll Tide. Off a cliff. (laughs) I said it, and I meant it. Hail State. All this football stuff, I'm sorry. (laughs) We are talking about the South. Yep. So, he arrives in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where he ends up staying with some family friends, He used this 20-hour bus ride to memorize his whole new identity. His social security number, number, his home address, all that good stuff. Just in case. Just in case he got stopped by the cops or somebody, you know, applied for a job, whatever the case may be. That's what he did during that time. He memorized his new identity. But his stay in Tuscaloosa did not last long before a bounty hunter tracked him down from Oklahoma to Tuscaloosa. <laughs> and so Jeremy went on the run again. This time to Mobile, Alabama. Oh, Jesus. Where he met a home builder and a man of the church, Mark Bentley. Jeremy impressed Mark by working for free one day and was hired on the spot. Mark said he didn't really have anywhere to hire him to work, but he just was so impressed that this man worked for free and was like, hey, You deserve a job. I'm going to give you a job. And not just that, but you seem like you need a, you need somewhere to stay. I know you need somewhere to stay, but you seem like a good guy. So come stay at a trailer on my land. I got you. I'll take care of you. And that he did. Mark took care of Jeremy for a good long while. As long as Jeremy did not continue to use any drugs. In Mark's quotes, in Mark's own words, he said, I will send your ass in a box back to your mama. If you use drugs. Okay. And Mark's wife, Kim, even remembers Jeremy as being a respectful and kind young man. He was always complimenting her home, her cooking skills, all that good stuff. Which is shocking considering what we learned about him here in a bit. 
but she felt like Jeremy was always in search of a home of his own and his family. He kind of seemed delusional about his home and his family back in Oklahoma. He always talked about how they were going to come visit him, but like they didn't and they didn't really talk on the phone either, but he just always talked so highly of his mother and his brother. And it just, I don't know. To her, it seemed like he was trying to build his own life. Which, same, we all are. But there is a way to go about it. Yep. Jeremy was so close with this family that Mark's daughter even had a nickname for him. She called him Ken, as in Barbie's boyfriend. She thought that he was the perfect man. Like I said, he was very charismatic, very good looking. Checks all the boxes. Yeah. But his mind is just not what it needs to be. Jeremy's mom was happy that her son had found them and found a family. And clearly this was proof that her son was not the killer that the cops in Oklahoma were trying to frame him to be. While Jeremy settled down in Mobile for a while, he started dating very ambitiously in my opinion. <laughs> like he was really shooting his shot with these beautiful accomplished women that were out of his league. Nurses, doctoral students, anybody that would give him the time of day he tried. Soon after moving in with the Bentleys, I was about to call them the Chapmans. I don't know why. <laughs> Soon after moving in with the Bentleys, Jeremy did begin using meth again, which caused a falling out with the Bentleys and they kicked him out. They evicted him from the trailer and off their property, property completely. He was fired from his job. All the things that Mark said was going to happen, except he didn't kill him and send him back in a box to his mama. That's the only promise that wasn't kept. So at this point, Jeremy moves into a motel where he meets Craig Baxter. I want to know what hotel it is, what <laughs> motel it is, because there are a lot of seedy motels around here. Yes, there are. And I could, I, 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 I'm just curious. So Jeremy moved into the motel where he met Craig Baxter, who was a man from Douglasville, Georgia, who was in town for work. And if you haven't listened to our previous episodes slash you don't know about Mobile, Mobile is a port city. Yes. It's also at the intersection of two major interstates in the country, in America. So it's... We have a lot of transient communities that come in and out of this area for work, specifically. We have the boating communities. We have people that go offshore. I can't even tell you all the things. Right. I'm not going to waste your time. I'm just saying that it is very, very popular for us to have a lot of people coming in town to stay for work. And then they leave after a few weeks. So that is why Craig Baxter was in Mobile. And... Craig and Jeremy didn't really get close, but, like, they were definitely acquaintances. Like, they kind of looked out for each other sort of situation. So, whenever Craig left to go back to Georgia, he left a note for Jeremy saying, If you're ever in Georgia, give me a call. It took Jeremy two months, but he finally called Craig in May of 2002, saying he got his ass whooped and he needed a little bit of cash. So, Craig wired Jeremy the $50. And thought that was that. He might hear from Jeremy in the future, but that's a future him problem, not a me problem. <laughs> it's later. It's fine. That's a future me problem. I don't got to deal with that right now. 
The last thing he expected was to open his door the next day to find Jeremy standing there with stitches over one of his eyes, looking worse for the wear. At this point, Craig let Jeremy moved into, move into the basement, to his wife's dismay. Jan Baxter was not a fan of Jeremy by any means. His odd hours, his drug usage, and just his lifestyle in general, she was not having any of it. Not even to mention that he didn't contribute financially to living in this house. That's, I, I would have lost it over that too. So they kicked him out. And that is when Jeremy moved in with their next door neighbor, John McIntosh, and his 12-year-old son, Matt. John and his wife were currently going through a separation. Okay. And Matt was an only child. So Matt and Jeremy really kind of bonded over the boys' boys thing. Because, once again, he was very charismatic. Knew how to get along with the men. Yeah. And so he would play video games with Matt. They would go hunting together. They would just horseplay in the pool in the backyard and just have a blast. Meanwhile, John and Jeremy are also friends. They're kicking back, hanging out, all that stuff. And John and his wife are having their problems. Carrie, looking back, she fully believes that Jeremy was a big sore spot in their marriage. They were already separated before he moved in. But she just kind of was like, I know he's in John's ear egging shit on. He knows what the, what our arguments are about and he's stirring the pot. Seems like, seems valid to me. Yeah. So John also helped Jeremy get a job at the Young Refinery in Douglasville. This is where John was a manager and Jeremy was able to get the job here because John Paul Chapman, who once again, remember, he's going by an alternate identity. Yeah. So that identity cleared the background check and he got the job on the spot. So like I was saying, Carrie was not charmed by Jeremy at all. She was smart with good intuition and she felt like Jeremy just in general had it in for women. She felt like he was constantly egging on the fights between her and her husband and he would he was just always talking down about women, saying derogatory things, putting them in their place, about wanting to smack them down, being a stand-up gentleman. Oh. Yes. She, she, I even, I was reading an article where they interviewed her and she told one of his favorite jokes. So I'm going to tell y'all and I'm going to go ahead and say it is not a fucking joke. <laughs> I see red whenever I hear this. So the joke is, what do you tell a woman with two black eyes? Nothing. You done told the bitch twice. Nope. Nope. Mm-hmm. Yet Carrie was the one that was outcasted for not liking Jeremy. Everybody else was enamored by him except the women. I wonder why. Exactly. Because if you remember, Jan did not like him either. So all of these wives are being like, I'm telling you something is wrong with this man. And the husbands are like, nah, he's cool. Like, I don't understand what you're not seeing. He's a great guy. No, he's not a great guy. 
he's mis- misogynistic. Yes. Oh, I got a big word. <laughs> That's a big word for Elmo. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways. But Carrie was kind of outcasted because she did not like Jeremy. And everybody, all the men around her did. No, of course. And so, while she was not living in the home... John even says that Jeremy would go out. He would pick up a couple of drunk girls. They would go to a hotel. He wouldn't come back for the rest of the night. He would pick up prostitutes on the boulevard. And John really attributed all of this horrendous behavior to the meth. (laughs) Sure. He claims that he could see Jeremy wrestling within himself. With his addiction to the meth, addiction to the sex, but he seemed to be looking for better, a better life, but not actually working towards it. So to me, that doesn't mean shit. You might want something, but if you don't work towards it, like Jeremy kept saying he wanted a good woman who would cook and clean for him, who would do what he would tell her to. And then John would tell him he wouldn't find that kind of woman in in a bar. Uh, you're probably going to have to try to buy that woman from a store or something because it's not happening. Yeah. But Jeremy does agree about how the meth alters his personality and how he acts. He said, quote, it's a sexual drug and ecstasy. You're on top of the world. It multiplies everything. And I, I do acknowledge drugs can affect you in a way. So maybe <laughs> it is the meth. But he seems to have been having problems before the meth, too. Jeremy even tried attending church quite a few times with a co-worker. Didn't help him, clearly. Yeah. Then on Halloween night, Jeremy was helping Matt and his friend dress as Ace... I'm going to butcher this name. I fucking hate this. Ace Fraley and Gene Simmons. I know I got the Gene Simmons right. (laughs) Anyways, both members of KISS. So Jeremy helped the boys do their makeup and all that to get ready for Halloween. After he sent the boys off to go trick-or-treating, he went to the local tavern slash bar called Gibson's. Around midnight, Tina Mayberry, a young woman dressed up as Betty Boop, left the bar and ran straight into trouble. Tina was stabbed multiple times before passing away a few short hours later. The cops have had absolutely no idea who done it until Jeremy confessed years later with details only the killer would know. He even admitted in his written confession that she quote unquote whipped his ass. <laughs> you go girl. Rest in peace, but you go girl. A few months later, Jeremy brought an a another woman, clearly his anyways, Jeremy <laughs> brought a woman back to John's place. She left fairly quickly, and John was like, huh, that's weird. And then a couple of hours later, the police called John's house, and they're like, hey, uh, we have a woman here, and she said that a man there tried to strangle and rape her, and yeah, we need you to come down here to talk to us, or we can come get you. So John and Jeremy go down to the police station, and John ends up vouching for Jeremy And even the cops were sitting there being like, this woman's story is inconsistent. Yeah. It is what it is. 
both of us could argue both sides of that. So we're going to leave that as that. But John said after that, they didn't hear anything else from the police over this situation. So they left the police station. They did not hear back from the police. Kept going with their lives. Jeremy kept a, a, kept going to Gibson's, the tavern bar. And that is where he met Vicki Freeman. He told her that he had been admiring her from afar. And this was the first time he had finally gotten up the nerve to approach her. <laughs> he asked her out on a date. And then he took her to Olive Garden in a movie. I know some of you probably were like, Olive Garden on the first date? For me, I would love it. I would be like, fuck yes. Can we take some breadsticks to the movie with us? Yes. Because, yes. It's also really helpful that my husband gets a discount because he works <laughs> for the company. But even whenever he doesn't work there. No, I want all of them. Well, we can go tonight. <laughs> I'm not opposed. We got to pay full price because Nate's not there. But we can go. We can go. Back to our story. <laughs> We're the worst. Sorry. <laughs> We're the worst. My hair is the worst. I don't know what's going on here anymore. But Vicky described Jeremy as being very kind and gentle and loving. She said that he always put her first. He always thought of her. He would leave her little cards and I love you notes here and there. And I'm like, who the fuck is this man? I was like, based off of how this has started, are we talking about the same man? Which does make me feel like the meth line is accurate. Because right now, he's sober, living with her. He's yeah. not using meth at this point, And he's very sweet and loving. And it does tend to be, every time that he uses meth, that he acts yeah. out, I guess would be the best way to put it. But... So, they were pretty much living together at each other's places, and then they ended up moving into an apartment together in Villa, Villa Rica in September 2003. They went around, they introduced themselves to the neighbors, doing the right thing and whatnot, and that's when they met the Godfreys. So, Nita Godfrey remembers that they were barbe barbecuing outside when Jeremy walked up toting a beer and he played with their dog. It's important to know at this point that the Godfreys have an 18-year-old daughter named Brittany. Oh, God. And that's probably why he went a little above and beyond to become their friends. And so... Days later, when Jeremy actually met Brittany, he mentioned to her all of these details that he knew about her life. Oh? Brittany was a little creeped out by this. She went home. She was like, Mom, why would you tell this stranger all of these personal things about me? And her mom was like, we didn't do that. <laughs> Run, girl. <laughs> Move out immediately. So, of course, that's a little creepy. And then one day later, a few days later, Vicky ended up calling the police because she was scared that Jeremy was going to hurt her. And Vicky is the mom. No. Yeah. Um, no, Vicky is the girlfriend. I'm getting sorry. mixed up here already. Jeez. 
but Vicky's the girlfriend. So the girlfriend called the police and was like, Hey, I'm scared of him. I don't know what he's going to do. But she also decided not to press charges. Police returned at a later date when a neighbor called to say that Jeremy was quote unquote wigging out. And that's when Jeremy told the police he was on a two week meth bender and he had shot up two grams of meth and was trying to kill himself. Okay. A psychological profile was prepared for his murder trial, uh, prepared for his murder trial in the future says that Jeremy had been in hospitals or mental health facilities at least four times because of his drug use. And he also says that it's during some of these days that he contracted hepatitis C, which caused a lot of advanced liver damage, which isn't really important here. Yeah. Just a little note. So at the Villa Rica, Villa Rica police also arrested Jeremy in October 2003 for allegedly exposing himself to Brittany Godfrey, the <laughs> 18-year-old. She told police she was scared of Jeremy because he repeatedly came to her apartment, turning the doorknob, trying to get inside. No, I would be you. scared, too. And that is why I have my dogs. They're big scaredy cats, but people don't know that. They sound ferocious. Yeah, that's my parents' dog, Snap. She will hide behind the, like, little counter in the kitchen and bark. To make herself sound like a big scary dog and then she comes around the corner she's this overweight loss of ops <laughs> which is basically a shit zoo yeah and yeah she if you pet her she will lead you to all the valuables <laughs> it's true i've won her over every time i go over she hates me at first and then she warms up very quickly so i know that i could commit crimes in that house <laughs> Even though a police officer lives three doors down. Just steal all the alcohol. It's fun. That's all I need. That's all I need. But back to Jeremy harassing this 18-year-old. She told the cops that he would appear in the morning always after her mom left for work. Creepy. Yeah. One day he would come to the front door. The next day he would come to the back door. The next day he would sit outside of his next door apartment with just sitting at like in a lawn chair with a beer in his hand, watching the door, waiting for Brittany to come out. So clearly he's a little unhinged. Uh, just, just a little. Just a little. And later, after they ended up moving out, the Godfreys said that they found a box outside of Brittany's bedroom window that contained rope, tape, and binoculars. Nope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Jeremy, after this, he worried that his luck was kind of running out because, remember, he had, he's still being looked for in Oklahoma. Yeah. Like, he's on the run. But the police have now had him in custody several times, and they have not connected his fake identity with his real identity. So, he's, like, worried that his luck is running out, as he should be. So he he talked about how he would get picked up and arrested in Georgia. He would sit in the room sweating, worrying about them finding out who he is. And then the police would walk in and be like, all right, John, you're good to go. You've made bond. You're criminal, but not criminal enough for us to hold you. Right. 
And it's at this point that Jeremy just kind of thinks that all of this is a joke because the FBI has released their fingerprints system. Like they've taken his fingerprints at the police station multiple times and they're not matching up with anybody else in the system. So he thinks that he's getting away with this at this point, and he pretty much is. I was going to say, I mean. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the fact that he thinks that he's getting away with it is kind of what ended up leading to his end. So we'll let him have it. So two months in the future from then, still 2003, uh, the happy couple are living in a trailer when... A 16-year-old, Amanda Greenwell, disappeared from a nearby trailer in Arbor Village, still in Douglasville, Georgia. Amanda's body was found a month later in April 2004 in nearby woods. She had been stabbed and her neck was broken. That same month that she was found, Patrice Andres, a a Forsyth... Sounds good to me. Forsyth (laughs) County hairdresser disappeared from her shop. Jones later told detectives he got lost driving and happened upon her isolated business. He asked for directions from her, and then he took advantage of the situation. He said he kidnapped her and brought her to Douglas County, where he raped and killed her, and then dumped her body in a nearby creek. To this day, her body still has not been found. So, now we're in 2004. In early 2004, Jeremy often called... McIntosh, John McIntosh, his old roommate, whatever you want to refer to him as. Mm -hmm. He would call him at like really weird hours of all the day and would say things like, I'm going downhill fast. I screwed up again. I don't know how to fix things. And John always assumed that it was because of drugs. But now after the fact, he's like, did he call me after he like committed these murders? (laughs) Probably. Probably. In September of 2004, Jeremy saw an upcoming opportunity to move back to Mobile because Hurricane Ivan was coming in swinging. And that was definitely one of the bigger hurricanes that we've had. I was going to say, a lot of the restaurants down here have pictures of the aftermath of Ivan. Yeah. It, It came like a couple of years after Katrina and it just hit down. It was before Katrina. 2004? I thought Katrina was 2002. Maybe it was 2005. It happened some... You know what? This part of it doesn't even matter to my story. So, anyways. He moved... He decided to move to Mobile because the hurricane was coming and he knew that there was going to be a lot of opportunity for him to find work. Katrina was 2005. So, Ivan was the year before. Okay. But Jeremy knew that he was going to be able to find work readily and easily after the hurricane. So he decided to make the move down to Mobile while he left his girlfriend, Vicky, back in Georgia. He, his quote about the whole thing was, he said, I wanted to come down here, live on the beach and live happily ever after. So he drove to Mobile. He phoned Vicky back in Georgia told her that he had landed a job said he you know I'm, I'm getting things ready for you and she was like all right great I'm proud of you let's do this I'm excited 
Sounds familiar. That's how I ended up down here, too. <laughs> Except not with a serial killer. <laughs> that sounded horrible. All right. So, Jeremy made the phone call to Vicky using a phone that belonged to Lisa Nichols, who was a 45-year-old woman, and she actually lived next door to his old boss and family, the Bentleys, who he lived with in Mobile. Shortly after he showed up at her house, she was raped, shot, and set on fire. And this is what ultimately brought Jeremy down. Oh, jeez. Jeremy was arrested in 2004, very shortly after this happened, in Mobile, Alabama. He's even quoted as saying, if I never came back to Mobile, I would still be out there. I'd still be John Chapman and not Jeremy Jones. Well, thank God somebody got it right around here. Cheers. <laughs> Jeremy even laughed over the fact that he had been arrested multiple times in, in Georgia with the cops in Mobile. Like, he laughed. They weren't laughing. <laughs> yeah. But he laughed with them about being caught several times, but yet the fingerprints never matched up. So they never realized that he was using the false identity. The way that they found out that he was using the false identity was after he was arrested, he called home to his mother and they traced the phone call back to his mom and realized who he actually was. So the detectives that were interviewing him, they actually, you know, people ask, how did you end up controlling him? How did you get the answers that you needed? And in short, the detective said, they laughed and were like, he controls all of this. <laughs> like, he has all the power. He tells us what he wants us to know. And we cannot control him. Yeah. Which is true. So nobody actually knows the truth from him. <laughs> because he would, he would tell the detective things to get special meals, special phone call privileges, stuff like that. They would give him polygraph polygraph test after polygraph test after polygraph test with conflicting results. So like to this day, we still don't know the full extent of what this man did. We just can try to prove what he's told us. Yeah. But one of the sergeants that interviewed him went on to say he's a stalker. He gets excited about his victims. He'll talk about killing a person like it's a 10-point buck. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, November 30th, 2005, Judge Charles Graddick of Mobile, Alabama, sentenced Jeremy Jones to death for the rape and murder of Lisa Nichols. He's currently on death row at W.C. Holman Correctional Facility in Atmore, Alabama, and he still faces murder charges in Georgia and Louisiana as well. But they actually haven't moved forward on those. And I assume that they, want, they won't, considering that he's on death row. If they were to grant, like if Alabama were to grant him leniency or reduce his sentence to parole or something like that, yeah. then I think Georgia and Louisiana would move forward on their charges as well. But considering the fact that he is on death row awaiting... The sentencing, I don't foresee either of those states coming forward with the charges. Yeah. So, 
when all was said and done from his interviews, he confessed to killing over 21 people in over 12 years in five different states. In 1992, he claims that he killed Jennifer Bryan Judd, who was 20 years old, a newlywed. He said that he stalked her. He tried to rape her, couldn't get it up, and then he stabbed her to death in her apartment in Baxter Springs, Kansas. In 1999, a couple was found shot to death in their burning trailer. Their daughter and her friend that was over for the day are still missing to this day. Jeremy claims he's the answer to this unsolved case. He said that after he shot the parents and set the trailer on fire, he took the girls away, raped them, and then shot them, and then left their bodies in in, in abandoned mine shafts. That was a lot of ends. <laughs> that he learned, and he learned from the Jennifer case and from the previous rape cases that he should not leave witnesses behind, which is why the two younger girls had to die that day. So that's 1999. Then in 2002 was the Tina Mayberry case that we talked about earlier outside of the bar. In 2004, he murdered Amanda Greenwell, who was 16 in Georgia. In 2004, he murdered Patrice Andres, Andres, the hairdresser. And then a few short months after that is whenever he murdered Lisa, which is the one that he actually got caught and prosecuted for. Outside of that, he also claims that he killed three prostitutes in Mobile, Alabama, five prostitutes in Atlanta, Georgia, and one prostitute in New Orleans, Louisiana. This, the Louisiana, the New Orleans, Louisiana prostitute charge was the only one that he was charged for as far as, far as the prostitutes go. Neither Alabama or Georgia tried to charge him on those cases. To this day, the families that took him in as their own family and adopted him and took care of them, they still live in fear. They're like, how can this man that we treated as our own son, how could he do all of these things? And they're yeah. like, specifically the family from Mobile they were like, that That easily could have been us and our daughter. And it wasn't, thank goodness. But now they live in this fear that they trusted someone who seemed very trustworthy. Yeah. And it turns out that he wasn't. And that's definitely something to, like, sit on and digest for the rest of your life. That, you, that I would... I already need a lot of therapy. <laughs> if I had to go through something like that, I would... I would be in the mental institution myself. Like I said, I had never heard of this case before. I had never heard of this man before. I had never heard of an alternate Ted Bundy. And we all know about Ted Bundy. Like there mm -hmm. have been several documentaries released over the past couple of years alone about that man. I think Jeremy Jones would make a great movie too. Not a great movie. Great documentary. They are very much alike in the way that they're very charismatic and bring in the ladies, but yet they also hated women at yeah. the same time. So, anyways, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll kick you off to the last call now. Alright, welcome to another round. Last call, whatever we want to call it. 
tomato, tomato. <laughs> right. I'm Trish, your bartender. And today, since it is March, we're going to do some March facts. And here in the U.S., actually, we list March as Women's History Month. I don't really have a lot of, like, women's, like, history things with this, but it's just, we like to make a day and a month for almost everything here. It's fine. Some of them. We really love National Tequila and Margarita <laughs> Day. Yes. Some of them we celebrate a little more. Um, but I just thought I would mention that to start out our little first March fact. So, I'm going to start going through some of, like, the days of March and some, like, little key things that happened on them. So, we start out with, with you know, it being Women's History Month, we're going to start out with a bang. March 1st <laughs> was actually the start of the Salem Witch Trials. Hmm. Is that why we chose it as the Witch uh, Maybe. On March 1st of 1991, the show Clarissa Explains It All debuted, which I was a huge I fan love of. That show. Yes, that was our first introduction to Mel Melissa Joan Hart. Love her. On March 3rd in 1845, Florida joined the U.S., thus, the start of Florida Man. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, um, what was that? March third of nineteen ninety seven. Daria premiered on MTV, which I feel like that is a hit or miss if people actually yeah. know that show. But it there are some days I sit there and go, "I am Daria." <laughs> I do know it. I did not watch it. I wasn't, like, I didn't watch it religiously, but, yeah. like, it's one, like, I would catch and I'd be like, oh, you're watching Daria. Yeah. March 5th, 2002, The Osbournes debuted on MTV. All right, then. Oh, good old Ozzy, you know, Post Malone just discovering new artists. Oh, <laughs> these young children out here. <laughs> I mean, geez. Did you know Machine Gun Kelly gave Travis Barker a chance? Oh, my God. Thank you, Machine Gun Kelly. I hate it here. <laughs> March 10th, 1997, Buffy the Vampire Slayer premiered on... <laughs> You're prepared for something. But it premiered on the WB, which who remembers the WB? Me. Yes. Buffy! I loved Buffy. I still love Buffy. I will watch it to this day. Amen. But, but the one part of that series I do tend to skip over is like when they introduced Dawn just because I hated that storyline. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like with Charmed whenever they replaced the one sister. Yeah. Because it had to be three sisters. And I'm like, okay, so it was never three sisters then. It was never three sisters. There... Rose McGowan was not the downfall of that show. When they introduced Billy and her sister, that was the downfall of that show. No, I just, I'm in it from the point of, like, I hated the... Yeah. I understand because there's drama behind the scenes and they wanted to get rid of the actress that played 
Prue or whatever it was. Yeah. So, like, I get it. I just, I hated the storyline that the whole time it was three sisters and that's why they were magical. And then one sister died and all of a sudden there's a third sister. There's a half sister. Yeah. But like, so the whole time there were four sisters, but they still had their magic. Yeah. I... We're not here to talk about charm. We're talking about Buffy and I got off. <laughs> yes. Buffy was 1997 and i remember it was such a progressive show for the time it was dark and it was edgy <laughs> and now i watch it and go we used to be like oh i watched buffy and now you're just like this is nothing <laughs> yeah. um another show that debuted in march on march 18th 2005 the Sweet Life of Zack and Cody premiered on Disney Channel. The Prindle. <laughs> if you know what that is, comment on our social media. Yes. The Prindle. Let me know what the Prindle is. <laughs> March 21st of 1788. A sad day for me and Sloan, even though it did not affect us then. It was the New Orleans... It was the great... New Orleans fire, which destroyed 80% of the city. A sad day. But New Orleans is resilient as a mofo. <laughs> Nothing will keep that city down. Yep. March 21st, 1989 is also when Pete Rose was tied to baseball gambling, which, if you're a sports fan, you know that is a huge thing. And... He was destined for, was, he was in the Hall of Fame, wasn't he? Or he was supposed to be, but now he's banned from it? Uh, yeah. I don't know. He's a, it's a big thing if you're like a baseball person, which Sloan has ties to baseball and <laughs> I'm a sports person, but like. I know how to enjoy baseball, but I don't keep up with it and I don't, I mean like I know Babe Ruth and shit yeah. like that, but. My dad played professional baseball, which is why I like it. <laughs> I grew up with it. Yes. Also, on March 21st in 2006, Twitter was founded. So, you know, the little blue bird entered our lives. For I, the, I remember that coming out. I remember reading about Twitter. In people, we all thought it was stupid. In People Magazine, and it was like, Justin Timberlake and so and such, such and such. This is where the newest, this is where the celebrities are going to be doing all of their new stuff. And, da, 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 da. and my mom was like, oh, I need to get on Twitter. And my mom is like Amy Poehler for me. <laughs> I'm a cool mom. Yeah, that's my mom. I just remember Twitter like debuting and we all were like this is stupid this is just you're taking the wall from Facebook and just making that the only thing I still think Twitter is stupid so I apologize that our Twitter lacks in substance <laughs> <laughs> uh, on March 24th 2005 the office if I can speak the office premiered on NBC also, March 24th, 2006, Hannah Montana premiered on Disney. We all got introduced to the best of both worlds. <laughs> you get the best of 
I was waiting for you. <laughs> uh, March 30th, 2001. Another great, well, I guess two shows, depending on what, like, your age and that premiered. You have The Fairly Odd Parents and Invader Zim premiering on Nickelodeon. I was starting to get out of, like, cartoons about that time, but I do remember always watching Fairly Odd Parents because it was hilarious. Green juice, lava juice, <laughs> giant snake, rubber cake. I'm unlocking all these memories for Sloan right now. <laughs> Sheep. Odd parents, barely odd parents. <laughs> and finally, March 31st in 1995, Latina singer Selena was murdered, and the live coverage of the crime actually drew in over 3.2 million viewers to CBS, which I know Selena is not one that's really known too much, but she is known and a lot of people she know her. Th- yes, a lot of people know like the story of her through you have the, I think it was Netflix that did the series on her, but also in like the early, it was like late 90s, early 2000s, you had the Jennifer Lopez movie that focused on her life and that and that's how like a lot of people were introduced to her too she was amazing and her ending was so sad and so unnecessary and if you don't know that or even if you do maybe one of these days we'll do a case on it because it's one that you can find so much on yeah i i could fall down rabbit holes for days yes but those are my march facts Happy March Madness. Right. <laughs> it is March Madness. We also have St. Patrick's Day coming up. Slash, I think when this premieres, it's only like a week away or something like that. So, don't drink too much, but definitely get you a drink. Get you a green beer or green drink or something. And, uh, yeah, enjoy. And if you like what you're hearing... Again, be sure to check us out every mo- Tuesday and Friday. We always post, review us, rate us, all that. Check out our socials. It's all tequila she wrote. If you have any case suggestions, last calls, um, drink recipes, anything like that, shoot us an email at tequila she wrote at gmail.com. We also have our Patreon up and running for as little as $2 a month. You can support two of the baddest bitches in history right here. And with that, you get a bonus episode every month. And then we have other tiers from there. So just depending on what you're interested in slash how much money you want to donate towards our way, you get different bonus episodes every month. There's merchandise available, all that good stuff. It's all patreon.com backslash tequila she wrote. So check it out if you're interested. And thanks for riding along on this Hot Mess Express today. Toot toot. Beep beep.